A recent publication by an American psychiatrist is showing up the real power of possibly one of the most devalued currencies in the modern world, namely, the spoken word. I don't know why I did the things I did I don't know why I said the things I said Rides like a knife, it can cut deep inside Words are like weapons, they wound sometimes Breakthrough Super Special I just called to say I love you I just called to say how much I care Dr. W.W. Broadbent set out to research a profile of the kind of person who attracted love and the kind of person who failed to receive affirmation of their value. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. It wasn't long before he realised it had little to do with introversion or extroversion. Little to do with education, economics, looks or any of the things one would have normally assumed. But he did conclude it had to do with the person's own self-perception. Whether they felt comfortable with themselves and were assured enough to reach out in a relaxed way to others. I buy you a diamond ring, my friend, if that makes you feel alright. I'll get you anything, my friend, if it makes you feel alright. Some people who may have been wealthy, attractive, etc., just use their attractiveness, money or extrovert natures to manipulate love, but in the long run tended to insulate themselves from the depth and significance of the love they desperately hungered for. He then went further to take a look at the forces that had shaped the self-perception of the person who failed to attract the love and value they so deeply longed for, and he came up with a remarkable result which gave him a new respect for the power of the human word. The theory goes a bit like this. We're familiar with all the imposing powerful names that institutions take on themselves, like the Commonwealth Bank, the Indian Pacific Rail Service, Australian Airlines, we're also conscious of other businesses and institutions with names that attempt to convey an image of friendliness of being down to earth. They have names like Giuseppe's Pizza Parlor, Sparks Electrical Service, the Hole in the Wall Cafe or the Highwayman's Bar, the Homestead Motor Inns, etc. Now, if you were to switch the names of some of these institutions using imposing names for some of the down-to-earth names, you could come up with Sparks Airlines, a Highwayman Bank, a hole-in-the-wall mortuary, or Australian plumbers. You would doubt somehow the credibility of the organisations thus labelled. The good doctor goes on to point out just how we've been conditioned by words. A word is to an idea what a map is to a territory. You look at a map of Australia and you're not looking at Australia but a representation of Australia. So people use words to represent what they want us to believe about them. The danger is that the word can get mixed up with the reality. And sometimes unscrupulous people use big imposing words to cover shaky institutions. And he said, 
said, hey, you talking to me? Or are you just practicing for one of those performances? Hot language, it's a virus. Um, no, you know, I've, I've been thinking, you know, um, and how it's the things you don't know, you know, that you think you know, you know, I mean... A down-to-worth word is not a down-to-worth thing. An imposing word is not an imposing thing. But it's not always easy to keep that in mind when we're on the receiving end of words, say from family members. When we're children and hear the words, you're stupid, or you'll never amount to anything, or you're just like your father, you'll never learn. We're not mature enough to distinguish between the word and the reality. We hear that we really are stupid, that we will never actually amount to anything, and we'll never actually learn. They just make sounds that more or less sync up, sync up, sync up with their lips. That's what I think. By having these words driven home repeatedly, many have been so conditioned that they have in fact fulfilled the words as though they were some kind of prophecy. And so it's said if you say to a child, you fool, you idiot, you dunce, you thickhead, you nong-nong, by the time the poor kid's 12, it'll most probably prove you right, in spite of its potential as a human being. So then the good doctor points out the responsibility we all have in choosing words and how through repetition they can actually come to shape the reality of a person's view of themselves. So our words are constantly moulding and structuring the personality of the child. This is done in two ways. By conditioning them to believe that the words we use describe them as they actually are, rather than what they mostly are, an expression of a negative emotion in us. Or by conditioning them to adopt our words and constantly develop attitudes and behaviour through them. Everything is an education If you just take the time we become the model and moulder of the behaviour of those around us. It seems too that words both create and focus our sensitivities. Each subculture, like a family for instance, finds words for the things that it values. And these words then reinforce these values. For example, Eskimos have 20 words for snow. The Australian Aboriginal has 40 words for various family relationships. Almost twice as many as our English language. Whether we hear them or say them. The words determine the focus of our attention. No worries, love. No worries, love. You're real okay. no Dr. Broadbent pointed out the special power 
of what he called snarl words. Words like brat, stupid, snob, pig, ignorant, and quite a few more that you could imagine we're not able to broadcast. Oh. What a rude person! The doctor pointed out the boomerang effect of snarl terms though, meaning that the individual who's meant to be the receiver of the snarl term isn't the only one to get damaged. The one sending it is also damaging themselves. But the nature of the damage to that person is insidious, deeper and maybe more permanent. The doctor suggests that the sender's own conscious or unconscious intent to hurt with words is also moulding them. The words from their mouth are like strokes of a whip. The first time you vent your frustration on someone else, it's a little hard to do, to get it off your chest. It's like inhaling a cigarette. The second time, it isn't so difficult. And by about the 50th time, it's almost becoming a habit, an addiction. If you can learn to feel comfortable with violating the personhood of another, you are in fact also destroying your own personhood. In the words of the doctor, it's as though you're planting seeds of poison in your own system and harvesting what you sowed at the moment of planting. On the other hand, when you repeatedly choose to utter words that are objective, fair, accepting, and your intent is genuine, you are simultaneously but unconsciously experiencing the nourishing effect of those choices. They put so much faith in people who are lying. They're so easy to deceive. You are planting seeds of respect from yourself and from others. And the doctor says you harvest what you sow. Just as somebody else said 2,000 years ago. And so our words are important, as the old book makes very clear. At the end of it all, you know, we're going to have to give an account, as it says, of every idle word. It makes you think. I'm Malgar.